1: welcome to the new books network
0: hello and welcome back to new books in the american west a channel on the new books network of podcasts i am stephen hausman i'm an assistant professor in the history department at the university of st thomas in minnesota and i will be your host for today's interview and i'm speaking with michael k johnson Dr. Johnson is Professor of English Literature at the University of Maine at Farmington and is the author of Speculative West's Popular Representations of a Region and a Genre, which came out with the University of Nebraska Press earlier this year in 2023. So it's a brand new book that I'm very excited to to speak about today. Uh, Welcome to the New Books Network, Michael. Good to have you here.
1: Oh, thank you, Stephen. Very nice to be here.
0: Uh, why don't we start as we traditionally do on this podcast by just hearing a little bit about who you are. Tell us a bit about yourself. what's your background and uh, I'm I personally am especially interested in what drew you to uh, uh, the topic of, of of English and literature as um, as a field of study.
1: So well I guess it's depending on how far you want to go back um, in my background, but I, I really do believe that my earliest memories are memories of reading or of being read to. Uh, So uh, literature has always been an important part of my life. Um, I went to the University of Tennessee as an English major, as an undergraduate, and then went to graduate school um, at the University of Kansas, uh, likewise, uh, to get a PhD in in English there. And then uh, from that point on, I have been here in Maine for the past 20-some years um, uh, teaching uh, literature at the University of Maine in Farmington.
0: And what is your relationship to the American West and to westerns as a genre? I guess what I'm really getting at here is is why did you end up writing this book specifically? You you were saying a second ago that you've always been drawn to 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 kind of stories and to reading, Were westerns a big part of your life.
1: Yeah, well, I you know, so I, I grew up, um, I guess, in the '60s and '70s when the television western was sort of at its height. Um, so I certainly grew up uh, watching westerns on on TV. Um, So I've always been interested in the genre. Um, I probably became more interested in the American West, both historically and culturally, when I was at the University of Kansas. Um, It was there that I had my sort of first visit to the um, Western Literature Association Conference, and that was probably in 1998 or thereabouts. Um, And so I've continued to go to that conference over the years, which has continued to really, uh, I, I guess this has sort of shaped my direction as a scholar um, as I have continued to be interested in the American West. Um, my dissertation was actually on the idea of the new frontier, right from the, uh, the John F. Kennedy speech from the 1960s. I was interested in the idea of, of what a new frontier looked like in the 1960s. Um, and that, that kind of interest in the frontier as a metaphorical construct, Um, oddly kind of led me back to the idea of the frontier as an actual geographic place. And I became more interested in looking at the region, um, regional approaches to literature, as opposed to the um, more metaphorical idea of the frontier, although I think that's always remained in, in what I do.
0: One thing that immediately comes to mind, you know, you talking about the idea of of the new frontier and and John F. Kennedy's famous speech in uh, in in the 1960s. I immediately think of Star Trek and, uh, you know, how at the the beginning of the episode, there's that voiceover about, you know, exploring new frontiers and everything. So really, this idea of frontiers is kind of everywhere in American storytelling in the 1960s.
1: Yeah, that's definitely the case, and and I guess I would add my I would add Star Trek to my uh, childhood television watching as, as an influence <laughs> as well. Um, so so yeah, um, and the the other thing that interested me about the idea of the new frontier, what um, was this sense in writers like well, for like Norman Mailer, uh, who wrote an essay that was it was pretty popular, um, which talked about the hipster as a figure. And his idea was that the, the hipster was this figure whose frontier was American nightlife. And, and that's where the hipster adventured. And what I found kind of interesting about his essay was that in, in this version of the frontier, the frontiersman, as in the traditional version, was white and male. Um, but the other that was encountered on the frontier uh, was an African-American uh, man, usually, that provided a kind of influence on the hipster. And that made me wonder, okay, so if Norman Ray- Mailer is is going out into the frontier and is sort of recreating the sort of traditional American Indian figure on the frontier in the form of the African-American man, uh, what are African-American writers doing in, in the 1960s? How are they thinking about the frontier? Are they thinking about the frontier? And that led me into like really uh, focusing for much of my research on um, on the African American West and African American experience in the West, um, and so that that sense of ah, of a new frontier, I found in the '60s, the African American writers that I was looking at, the new frontier was often overseas. Um, they were going to France or they were going to Africa itself as a kind of frontier space, and again, the metaphorical frontier led me back to thinking about the more geographical idea of the frontier and looking back at writers who wrote about um, homesteading in the in the West, or who wrote about um, being a cowboy in the West, as uh, Nat Love, uh, Nat Love did in his uh, autobiography.
0: So the the title of this book and and the subject of this book is speculative Wests. And before we get into some of the examples and and the the, the details that 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 you uh, talk about in the book, we should define what we're talking about here. So, what is a speculative Western exactly? What sets it apart from what we might think of as a a, a mainline or a traditional Western story? Um, and what specifically can of speculative Western tell us about uh, American storytelling about the American experience that a more traditional Western might not be able to?
1: So So I guess a, a speculative Western, um, the way that I, I the way that I sort of define it and understand it is that it's a it's a hybrid genre text. It's a text in which there are explicitly uh, more than one genre. Um, so that it is uh, uh, it's a Western, that is combined with something else. So a Western combined with horror or a Western combined with science fiction, a Western combined with fantasy. And for most of the the, uh, the texts that I look at, whether they are uh, books or films or television shows, are, are pretty intentional in the way that they bring the Western into the speculative story. So there are lots of elements of Star Trek, as we mentioned, that um, relate to the Western. Um, but I'm looking at, Texts that are more intentional in the way they bring the Western to play in 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 their forms. Okay, I, I, sorry, I lost the second part of the question.
0: That's okay. Um, I guess what, what I was wondering is, um, so so I feel like I have a good grasp of what a speculative Western is. The way you described it, it kind of reads to me as like Western plus, right? Western and then another genre that is added to it. Is that a fair way of, of thinking about this?
1: Yeah. And, and then, you know, just to continue with the Star Trek example, there is an yeah. episode of Star Trek, uh, the original series, it, that takes place at kind of a, um, at the OK Corral, or at least at a version of the OK Corral. That Mm -hmm. to me is a speculative Western because it's very intentional in the way that it brings the Western into the story. The Western isn't just sort of a, a hidden influence on the storytelling, but is specifically part of it.
0: Right, and I feel like you and I could go back and forth on Star Trek all day long. I also think about the Star Trek I grew up with, the Next Generation, where there's a whole—I uh, think—a two-parter series called A Fistful of Datas. Yes, it's all about—it's all all about—you um, uh, uh, know—they they go into the the holodeck or whatever it is, and they spend time in the American West. So again, just another example of what you're talking about. Um, And the the other kind of half to this question I was interested in is, now that we have a good definition down of what we're talking about here, what can a speculative Western tell us? Or what what does it do? What does it accomplish? What purpose does it serve that a more traditional Western can't do? I guess, why a speculative Western?
1: Um, So I I guess there there are multiple things that that a speculative Western might do. One, I think, is just kind of... um, Maybe market oriented, um, especially for for audiences in the 2020s or the 21st century in general, uh, for whom the idea of a tra- traditional western might not be that interesting. Um, it adds something new to it. So, 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 so um, a western that involves superheroes, for example, for example, is going to bring in fans of superheroes to this other genre that they might not otherwise be interested in. So, so I think speculative westerns are kind of smart just in terms of like making Western still a viable form uh, because they bring something new to the form. Um, The the Westerns that I, that I talk about the speculative Westerns that I talk about, I I think that very often that there's a critical element uh, to those, uh, to those texts that the Western is there with a kind of purpose, um, that there is some commentary that is being made on the Western as a genre or on uh, the history of the American West um, through bringing it intentionally into this other type of uh, of genre story. Um, so I think there's usually some sort of commentary that's taking place on the Western or on, as a form, on its character types, on its values, et cetera.
0: Uh, a moment ago, you, you touched on one other question that I had before we, get again, kind of get into the meat of the book, some of the examples that you talk about in the book. Um, a, a second ago, you, you talked about how, you know, using a West using speculative Westerns as a genre that that allows for people to tell stories that speak to uh, modern audiences in a way that more traditional Westerns might not be able to. And one of my one of the things that really surprised me in a, in a good way about this book was just how contemporary it is that you talk a lot about very recent texts in this book. and it kind of got me wondering, what is the state of westerns as a genre today? Here in the the early decades of the twenty first century, does the western as a genre still hold power in American popular culture, either speculative
1: or traditional? Um, you know, I, I think it does, right? And I, I think because it cuts across a variety of media, um, perhaps the the most perhaps the best examples right now would be two uh, television series they were on HBO um, and. That would be Westworld, um, which has been airing for a while. And the other would be the recent uh, series, The Last of Us, um, which is uh, also a kind of speculative Western. Um, There are moments in The Last of Us. So so The Last of Us is um, a story that is taking place in a post-apocalyptic society. There's some kind of... um, fungal virus that has taken over which turns people into kind of mushroom zombie creatures um, and this has created a situation where society has collapsed so you are kind of living in frontier circumstances as is um, post-apocalyptic stories are often westerns because of, of that element that there's a kind of living in on the frontier or a new version of the frontier um, and That movie, or sorry, that TV series has a general movement westward. It starts in Texas, moves to Boston, and then the primary part of the narrative in the first season are the main characters moving west on their way to Wyoming. Um, There's just sort of lots of moments there where we see references to Westerns and to Western iconography. We have characters on horseback. We have Jackson Hole, Wyoming is a kind of, uh, no longer a resort town, but a kind of um, frontier fortress that's been uh, created in Wyoming. So I, I think that there's, I think that there's still popular, particularly in, in in these um, speculative forms. Um, but there was also a series just last year um, on Netflix uh, called The English, which is a much more traditional Western um, that was set in the 19th century. Uh, did not exactly have anything supernatural going on. Although it had some elements of it that were um, horrific, right? It was it was a kind of a, a kind of like a maybe a horror western in the sense of horror, like in Psycho, right? Where the the horror is what humans are doing. So I, I do think that there are places for the western that are out there, uh, both in the traditional and in the speculative variety. Uh, but we also see it in things like um, video games, which is what The Last of Us was based on. And, and sort of my sense of, of, of why we're seeing more of these hybrid Westerns now in other media is because video, the popularity of video games and video games that do these sort of uh, hybrid genre um, stories, narratives, games... So let's get into some of the
0: examples that you talk about in the book of speculative West uh, uh, fiction. Um, you know, the the book is chock full of good stories about stories, basically, right? And what these particular uh, uh, narratives can tell us about the idea of the Western and its place in American life. So... To begin, let's start with the idea of time travel in Westerns. Why does that particular device crop up so often in Western storytelling? What does this particular storytelling device allow authors and and designers and showrunners and storytellers in general to do with the Western as a genre?
1: You You know, I think one of the things that surprised me about this project, was just how much time travel just how many time travel westerns there are, or how many uh, how many stories that involve time travel that also involve time travel to the old west in some fashion or another, I you know I wasn't quite expecting that there would be so much. Um, you know I of course I had seen Back to the Future Three, uh, which maybe uh, is one of the best known examples of a time travel western um, in which um, our main character goes back um, in the DeLorean time travel machine um, into this uh, late 19th century setting uh, where all sorts of things happen. Um, but they're just sort of all over the place. Um, there have been television shows recently that have had time travel episodes of which the characters uh, travel into the past. Um, even the the example of uh, A Fistful of is you might think about as a kind of time travel episode even though it's of a holodeck but it, it's a way to take the the characters from the contemporary story into this this um, uh, this this past time, and I, I guess with that as an example, you get to see new things about the characters, right? Uh, you get to enjoy Worth as a cowboy, <laughs> which is quite a thing, or you get to see Diana Diana Troy as an action hero, as she is uh, within that particular story. So, so I think that the time travel it opens up possibilities for doing things with your characters um, to put them into an entirely new situation such as our characters from the future suddenly back in the old west um, it, it also works as a nice sort of device for for mixing genres together together it gives you an excuse right so if you want to do a kind of a western show for your television show then have your characters go back in time, right? Um, it gives you that opportunity to do that.
0: So it sounds like it basically creates kind of fish-out-of-water stories where you get to see characters that we're familiar with who are existing in a different context and seeing how that disrupts kind of the normal behaviors and normal relationships
1: that we're so used to in whatever the story might be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and it also provides a kind of means for a um, a kind of ironic knowing... Um, exploration of the western as a form uh so many of these episodes have like references so many of these time stories have references not so much to the actual history of the American West as to the history of western movies um so that in um uh, in uh, back to the future 3 there's a moment where um our main character is standing in front of a mirror, um, practicing his fast draw. Um, and I think, he, I think he introduces himself as Clint Eastwood, as his name in the, in the past. And, and there are lots of moments like that in which the characters reference their understanding of the West as coming through Westerns by naming themselves after John Wayne or Clint Eastwood um, in these places where they find themselves.
0: The American West was also a very violent place. You alluded to this a little while ago and even just in the example that you just said of uh I, I Michael J Fox's character practicing his quick draw on the mirror in uh, uh Back to the Future 3, you know, that's a, a a move a moment based in, you know, kind of a comical way but nonetheless on violence, right? On on gunplay. So, is that violence ever a theme in speculative westerns as as well Does the kind of reality of uh 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 Conquest and colonialism and violence—does that ever play out in the kind of speculative westerns that that you talk about in the book?
1: Yeah, I, I would say so. In, in in a couple of ways, I I, I do think that the, the the violence of the western is 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 kind of um, an element of a lot of popular genres, right? Science fiction also has a similar sort of violence to it, um, in which issues are resolved by the, by gunfights or laser fights or, or whatever. Um, I also think that the, the the history of the West and, and some of the, the the culture of the Western is is a history of, tra- of trauma and, and traumatic experience, and the speculative westerns, I th- you know for me, they provide a kind of form uh, for investigating violence, not necessarily as um, just spectacle, but also violence as trauma and violence as creating. Um, traumatic effects and people who have to live with the the remnants of that violence. Even in a, Western, a recent Western like the English, um, it, it seems to me that there are elements of that traditional Western story, in terms of its setting, there's no magic or science fiction or fantasy, but this pretty horrific, right? That the violence in, in that series um, is very vivid and detailed. It it seems to be in some ways a commentary on the way that that Westerns as a form have kind of sanitized the violence of what's taking place. Um, The violence in the English is just very real. Um, And uh, it's just kind of startling to see it at times. Um, So I I think that the contemporary Westerns, I feel sometimes the speculative elements, especially with horror, become a way of articulating that violence or, or depicting that violence in ways that classic Westerns may be sanitized. Um, it's, it's useful if you have the tropes of horror as a way of showing the effect of that violence or the um, experience of that violence so it's almost sort of a pushback
0: against or reaction to the the kind of tropes of the western as as were constructed in the kind of like early to mid 20th century that what was you know I think about the the sort of classic example of, of the, 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 the hero gunfighter shooting the guy off the balcony and he, he falls off the balcony, right? And there's no blood and there's no consequences or anything. It sounds like you're saying that in these kind of speculative Westerns, especially when combined with horror, that it dives more deeply into that, right? And looks at what the actual effects of this sort of violent trauma were on people. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, yeah. And then also, I think, you know, to go back to the discussion of time travel, in some ways that's where the time travel comes in as well. Um, it, so, so time travel as as a science fiction device is, is particularly effective for depicting traumatic experience because it, it literalizes um, some of the effects of uh, like PTSD. So if you have PTSD, you may be reliving the same experience over and over again. In a time Travel narrative—that's literally what happens. Uh, You're literally going back to these traumatic moments and 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 re-experiencing them. So I I I guess that the as a way of sort of dealing with the traumatic effect of violence, this combination of violence, this combination of um, speculative and westerns, maybe takes us back to look at the the traumatic experience of the West, right? The traumatic experience of the violence that was involved in expanding westward.
0: What role do Native people play in uh, both serving as characters within Speculative wests, um, uh, as well as Native spaces themselves as settings for these stories? I mean, thinking about what we were just talking about with the traditional Western, right? And and how the traditional Western is often told as this kind of uh triumphant story, right? With the typically white male protagonists subduing the West in some way that often if native people are present in these more traditional Westerns, they are so as often kind of purveyors of the, the, the violence of the story. I'm thinking of books like Lonesome Dove, for instance. Um, what about in the, this kind of newer model of westerns, in these speculative westerns? What role do native people and, and native spaces play in these stories?
1: Um, so I think in part because one of the one of the other things that's sort of going on over over the past ten years or so is that indigenous futurism has become a really strong movement for uh, for native and indigenous writers. So there are a lot of um, indigenous storytellers who are using speculative forms. Uh, to tell their stories. And uh, that has also, not only are there more indigenous writers who are doing this, but it seems like audiences right now are interested in this particular field of speculative fiction. Um, And because of that, I I think that's why I have been seeing uh, lots of uh, speculative texts that are involving uh, native storytellers um, or speculative Western texts that are involving native storytellers. It, It becomes a way to maybe investigate the history of the Western as a genre and the history of Native people within the genre. Um, but having this sort of investigation take place within a speculative a speculative story also creates a kind of, um, of distance from the, the kind of the, uh, the, the poor history of Native American representations in Westerns. It provides a kind of distance from the form that allows commentary on it, um, while not just sort of repeating some of the da- some of the damaging tropes from westerns, particularly in terms of Native American stereotypes. Um, and I guess, I, I guess I would also say that these uh, contemporary Native stories are are more specific; uh, that they are specifically uh, working within, say, Navajo um, cosmology. Navajo culture um, or within other tribal cultures. And that's quite different, for example, from, you know, what we saw in um, Back to the Future 3 where Michael J. Fox just sort of runs into this movie scenario in which he's being chased by uh, a group of kind of generic Native Americans, right? There's no real specific tribal belonging or anything about them. They're just, there is a, a generic threat.
0: So more specific stories rather than, than, as you just said, this kind of uh more generic idea of, of kind of the, the Indian as threat to the, the, the white hero in, in a story. That's one of the avenues that speculative Westerns can help to, to, to create basically. Is that, is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, yeah, and and also more specific, uh, more specific stories and think in terms of depictions of the American West. Mm-hmm. So one of the one of the really popular places the film uh, made made popular by, by John Ford um, is the um, um... Monument Valley. Monument Valley. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, for some reason that the I lost the word Monument Valley, right? Um, which is uh, mostly on Navajo land, um, but it's presented to us as a kind of generic Western space. So in like four or five different John Ford films, uh, Monument Valley is is sometimes in Arizona, sometimes in Texas, right? It doesn't really matter. It it doesn't really depict, it isn't really there to be itself. It's always just representing this sort of generic idea of Westernness. Um, And it's really interesting to see like Native filmmakers or Native writers who have worked within that space are depicting dis- dis- a very specific place with a long history and a long sense of belonging, and as a place that represents not a kind of generic uh, emptiness, but as a place of civilization and community.
0: That, that's really interesting. I'm, I'm focusing on this this kind of idea of specificity here a bit because uh, it kind of, at the beginning of, of our conversation, I asked that question about why speculative Wests, what, what they can do for us. And I think that's kind of clarifies a bit of that question as well, that it, it makes the West into, you know, this kind of specific place, and often a specific native place, rather than this kind of genericized, often whitewashed West. So I'm, I'm really understanding the power of, of the idea of the speculative West through this question. Oh, good. Good. Um... We talked about violence, uh, and one other form of violence that we didn't really get into is the violence of uh, what we might say is the violence of captivity or the violence of unfreedom, which was also an important uh, uh, element of the, the, the historical American West as well. I mean, in sort of mainline American history, when you think of slavery and unfreedom, uh, you know, a lot of people think about the American South. But of course, it was also present in the West as well. And you get into that in the book a bit, talking about how forms of slavery and unfreedom are represented in speculative Westerns. Can you tell us a bit about that? Maybe provide a couple examples?
1: Yeah. So um, I guess one of the things that, that to me is kind of interesting is that two sort of distinctively American forms or genre forms came into being in the 19th century. And one of those was the, was the Western um, and the other was the slave narrative right? It, which are these, these stories of um, escaped slaves, fugitive slaves, telling about their experiences in slavery. And it, it just strikes me that these, it's a very interesting kind of juxtaposition because, in some ways, they seem like they would be the very opposite of one another. Uh, stories of frontier freedom, as opposed to stories of enslavement and captivity. Um, but I, what I, I talk about in the book are um, these um, stories by African-American writers that are what I call speculative slave narrative Westerns, um, which combine essentially three genres, um, speculative fiction, um, the Western, and the slave narrative. They're drawing on that long history of the slave narrative to uh, tell new stories about the experience of slavery. I guess one example would be Justina's Ireland's um, series of books, uh, Deathless Divide and Dread Nation, Uh, which is set in the 19th century, um, but it's a 19th century that is different than the one we know. Uh, This is a 19th century in which there are zombies, and the rise of zombies has created this kind of alternate history of America. Um, And in this 19th century, um, slavery has been abolished, although it still exists in a variety of forms. Um, One of the ideas is that um, in, in, this, in this particular world, um, slavery is illegal for humans, um, but the exception to that is the belief that uh, the zombies are not human, and so anyone who's been bitten by a zombie is considered non-human. And so what we have taking place are people essentially enslaving African-Americans by claiming that they have been bit by zombies, right, that they're no longer human, so therefore they're no longer um. Um. Uh, they're no longer um, free from slavery. And um, I, I as part of this this story, um, the main character is actually um an African American woman who's gone to a a boarding school to be trained in fighting zombies, um, as an attendant for uh for fashionable young women, um, and. This also gives her an opportunity essentially to become a kind of Western hero. Um, she's the bodyguard, um, but she's also someone who is the, the frontier fighter uh, who goes off and, and fights the zombies who are attacking the civilized spaces.
0: Another. Uh sort of sub-genre of uh, uh, the genre of speculative Wests that you describe in the book are speculative stories about borderlands, uh, which, uh, as you argue in the book, these kind of borderland stories, they tie a lot of these different threads together about violence, about unfreedom, about, uh, 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 you know, uh, people encountering others of different cultures and things like that. So, I have kind of a two-part question. When you when you say borderlands in this book, some of my listeners might be familiar with that idea, uh, but 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 some some may not. What do you mean when you talk about borderlands? And how are Western borderland stories so powerful in the the the, the genre of speculative westerns?
1: So, um, so, so when I'm thinking about borderlands, I guess I'm thinking of it in a couple of ways. One is that kind of. Uh, uh, traditional notion, geographical notion of a border area. So, for example, the borderlands would be uh, the areas bordering the um, United States-Mexico border, right? That would be a borderlands area. Um, There's also maybe a more abstract way of thinking about that, uh, drawing on um, the idea of a contact zone. And a contact zone is a place where Uh, different people come together, different groups of people come together, and then the various conflicts, uh, not only conflicts, but also fusions that occur, the hybridity that occurs because of that combination of different groups of peoples. Um, It's a more sociological way, I guess, of looking at borderlands, more so than a a geographic way of looking at a borderlands. Um, And then my interest is in, particularly is in a book um, by Alfredo Vea, uh, called The Mexican Flyboy. Um, and the character, the main character in that book is someone who has a time machine and he uses his time machine um, to sort of go back to various moments in time where there have been uh, tragedies and atrocities. And he essentially uh, rescues the victims of those atrocities um, and prevents them from having to experience uh, the horrific deaths or horrific violence. And, a lot of these uh, take place within, a lot of the movements within that book take place within a, a more traditional notion of the borderlands, at, on that sort of um, Mexico and United States border. Um, but I also talk about the way that that book in particular sort of moves away from um, the borderlands as a geographic place. It um, starts thinking about it temporally. Um, so the, the main character of the book not only moves geographically across space, um, but he also moves through time, um, and there's kind of a this, this conjoining of geographic borderlands with the kind of temporal borderlands, in which we are moving through these different moments in time, and these different moments in time are juxtaposed together.
0: So, as we begin to wrap up here, um, I'm 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 curious. Uh, you know, as someone who who spent a lot of time reading about and 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 thinking about the Western as a genre, and as we're in this moment of speculative Westerns being kind of all the rage within uh, 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 within American uh, popular culture. What do you see at, you know, we started off this 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 conversation talking about frontiers, right? Are there new frontiers within the genre of the Western itself? Where do you foresee the genre going next? um what's what's next for
1: for the Western, do you think? Um, you know, i I almost would say that, um, if you want to know where the where the Western is going in its various or the speculative Western is going in its various forms, is maybe looking to video games and seeing what video games are popular now. Um, So when I have a a course on Westerns, many of my students are encountering Westerns, have have encountered Westerns for the first time not through television or film, but through video games. And uh, I think in part, it just seems like it's part of the very nature of video games to combine different genres and to be hybrid in their genre form. Um, And so I, I don't know... I mean, I guess one of the places that I would look for what might be happening next with speculative westerns would be to see what's happening in video games.
0: And I can, I can just off the top of my head, I I, I love video games. I play a lot of video games, and one that uh, I actually have not played, but a friend of mine has that he was telling me about recently is a game called uh, Hard West, which is sort of a bit of a niche kind of strategy type game but it is exactly what we're talking about it's a it's a speculative western that combines all kinds of supernatural elements and horror elements with the 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 trappings of and the setting of a classic western to tell a different kind of story about about this region and about the idea of the west itself so i think that that's that's that seems spot on in my experience as well
1: yeah i i think that you know especially with with the the popularity of the last of us as a television show um this is a television show based on a video game um I think that we are seeing the popularity of video games among um, people in the twenties and thirties and forties is going to have effects across a wide range of media and a wide range of storytelling.
0: And then, as we begin to 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 uh, wrap up here. I always like to ask my guests to uh, imagine themselves uh, as a reader of their book, reflecting back on the book from uh, a couple months or a couple years uh, removed from reading this book. And I'm wondering what you would hope that reader would remember from the book itself. What, If there's one big takeaway that you hope
1: a reader might remember from this book, what would you want that to be? Well, I guess um, <laughs> the the Western has so often been accused of being dead. That maybe the the one takeaway the, that I would like a reader to come away from with the book is that the Western is not dead, um, that it continues to live on in, in these various forms, right? And and sometimes it appears in places that we don't expect, and and sometimes the Western provides a means of telling stories that we don't expect. That uh, we can get we can get Western stories from African American writers. We can get Western stories from Native American writers that there are things that are happening within the form of the Western that maybe take it beyond um, sort of the, um, the limitations or the ideological perspectives that uh, were a burden on the classic Western and have contributed to the, West, the classic Western's uh, loss of popularity.
0: So as as long as uh, uh, you know we're bringing new voices and new perspectives into storytelling, then the West will continue to have a vibrancy. That it is a kind of setting and a kind of story and a kind of set of of, of tropes and narrative devices that that continues to speak to people is what I'm hearing you say.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's great that um, I mean there, there's there's such an importance on finding yourself represented in a particular text or story. And I think that is important, right, for for Native American readers to see a um, a, a Western hero uh, that they can identify with. Um, But I also think that what's happening in that process is that the Western itself, the genre itself, is being reinvigorated and reinvented. And uh, something new is coming out of these uh, new storytellers telling stories within this genre.
0: And indeed, I mean, if if uh, the story of the West and the Western is, you know, uh, you know, it, it, it says something about American history itself, then by looking at the West through new perspectives, it, tell, it gives us new perspectives on the United States and on American history and on North American history itself as well. So, uh, yeah, I, I see what you're saying about this being the, the kind of the, the, the power of the Western and its its ongoing vibrancy. So for my last question, I always like to get a preview from my guests as to what they're working on next. So I know that this book has only been out for a matter of months now, but is there a new project that you've been engaging with um, over over the last few months or the last couple of years?
1: So um, I've also uh, have had a long-term project in which I was uh, working on um, biographies of an African-American man and woman, a brother and sister, uh, Taylor Gordon and Rose Gordon, uh, who were born in White Sulphur Springs, Montana. And so that's been uh, a project that I've been working on, is is this biography. And I I don't know quite where I'm going next. The biographies are finished. I've discovered that biography writing is very hard. (laughs) It's a lot of work, uh, especially if you're working with primary texts. Um, So I if I think about what I'm working on next, biography of some sort might be a possibility, Um, particularly if I can find another sort of African-American figure who has Western connections that I could work on. Um, But I also find that I'm being, uh, continue to be drawn to new speculative Western stories. And the um, speculative West was really heavy on science fiction. Um, And I think that what I might move toward if I continue to, to work within the field of the speculative West is more horror westerns.
0: Well, on, on that subject, I'll ask one last bonus question here. Um, you know, we, we've we've talked about a lot of different films and video games and TV series and, and and all kinds of different media. Um, if you know we have any listeners that are are really uh tantalized by this idea of the speculative western. What and I don't want to put you on the stop on the spot too much here or anything, but what would be one uh maybe uh particularly impactful example or a very accessible example or something that really spoke to you? Where should someone turn if they want to encounter the kind of speculative Western that you're talking about? Is there a particular TV show or novel or graphic novel series or anything that you would recommend to to my listeners?
1: Um, so maybe a couple of things. One of one of the things that I would, would recommend um, is in the, sort of my discussion of uh, of slave narrative westerns, uh, one of the books that I talk about is a um, a young adult novel, and uh, and that is uh, Charlotte Nicole Davis's *The Good Luck Girls*, and this is kind of a fantasy western, um, and I you know I would I would think that it's a really good starting point. Um, it has a a, a very interesting. Uh, female protagonist uh, at the center of the story. Um, the girls who are the good luck girls are all um, uh, they're in a brothel and they escape from the brothel. And the story is is part of their adventure uh, after they escape. Um, it's a young adult novel. I actually taught it in um, in a class uh, last semester, and my students absolutely loved it. Um, they really just sort of enjoyed the story. And so I think it's a book that I'm going to continue to teach. Um, so if you're interested in uh, like a young adult, speculative Western, it, it's hard to do better than uh, Chaco- Chaco- uh, excuse me, Charlotte Nicole Davis's The Good Luck Girls. Um, the other thing that I would maybe recommend uh, is a, a current television series uh, called Firebite. And this is actually an Australian series. I think it's like AMC Plus is, is where you would find this. Uh, right now, um, but it's um, has an indigenous Aboriginal creator, and it's a story that is set in kind of isolated place in Australia, a very desert-like landscape. Um, it's a f- uh, opal city, former mining town, that's sort of petered out, and it's a vampire western of sorts. And the the story focuses on um, a character who's a blood hunter. Uh, which is kind of a bounty hunter for vampires. Um, and it has lots of sort of uh, knowing Western references in it, um, as well as being sort of a, a pretty interesting, entertaining vampire story.
0: Those both sound great. I, I've added them to my uh, list of stuff to check out that I keep on my phone as well. So thank, thanks for the recommendation. Oh, Certainly. Dr. Michael K. Johnson is Professor of English Literature at the University of Maine at Farmington and is the author of Speculative Wests, Popular Representations of a Region and a Genre, which came out just a couple months ago with the University of Nebraska Press earlier this year in 2023. Thank you so much for joining me today, Michael. Uh, Thank you, Stephen. It's been a
1: pleasure.